Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So this was kind of an interesting passage of scripture to read, uh, especially during a sermon series about hearing the voice of God, right? Uh, Pastor, you might say, that said that Noah walked with God, didn't say he heard God, right? I promise we'll connect the dots, right? Have I ever failed to connect the dots for you, right? I love this passage of Genesis, though. I can't say I love the entire passage of Genesis. Uh, Apologies to my wife. I'll probably be paying for that later for making her read all of those names. Uh, At least I didn't make her read all of the names. But I love the story of Enoch. In the midst of of these generations, there are ten generations listed in Genesis 5. If you go back and read through it, there's ten generations And every single one of those generations, every single one of those men, we read, so-and-so, you fill in the blank, whatever their name, so-and-so lived X number of days or X number of years. He fathers the father of the next generation. All the days of so-and-so were X number of years, and then he died. But then we have Enoch. And in the midst of these men who lived lives, Enoch walks with God. We're told specifically he walks with God. I wish we had more information on Enoch. Now, there actually is a book of Enoch out there. There's actually three of them um, that exists. Uh, I wish I knew more about Enoch. I do not wish I knew more about Enoch so much that I have dug into those books. Let me warn you, if you do want to check them out, those are ancient books. Uh, There are parts of the New Testament that scholars think quote those books. Um, We're not certain that it is those books specifically that they're quoting, but there there was at one time a book of Enoch. Um, There are questions out there to the book of Enoch. There are things that the book of Enoch talks about that that would have only been able to be written, you know, with knowledge prior to other Old Testament books. So there's, there are enough questions about the authorship of the book of Enoch uh, that, that scholars don't think that Enoch actually wrote these books. Uh, there are also other things in the book that made them question so that when the original people who put together the canon of Scripture, when they sat down and said, all right, should this book be included or not, there were enough questions about the things in the book that they said, you know what, this doesn't really fit with the rest of canon of Scripture. Can I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen? This is going to be a shock to some of you all. Just because something says it is of Christian authorship does not mean that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? We know that with today's scripture or with today's books, right? If I'm reading a book, if I write a book, you know, and somebody's going to read a book by Pastor Jeremy, that doesn't mean it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? I would hope that I would write a book inspired by the Holy Spirit, but we don't, we don't get that same level of authority as scripture, right? So just because a text is old, just because a text came from a long, long time ago, 
does not mean that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay, There's, this has become very, very trendy these days. There are people who are looking into some of these, you know, old writings of, of Peter, like, oh, these, these manuscripts, they were preserved from thousands and thousands of years ago, and we think that these are the manuscripts that Peter himself wrote. Y'all, I don't care if Peter wrote it. It's not in here. It does not have the authority that this book has. Does that mean that there aren't good things that you can find from it? No, yeah, no, it doesn't mean. Like, you can still find biblical truth in it, but everything still has to be measured through God's word. So the same thing with the book of Enoch. If you all want to go back and look, it's super, super prophetic and like end time stuff, so some of y'all might really dig that. If you want to go look at it, feel free, go check it out, but read it under authority of this book first, right? If anything in that says something contrary to that, this, guess what wins? This, okay? So that's out there. But we don't know a ton about Enoch, scripturally speaking. There's not a ton of information we have, but we do know this, that Enoch walked with God. There was something so radically different about Enoch's life from every single other person listed in this list of generations that the Holy Spirit himself tells us that Enoch walked with God. According to Scripture, living is not the same as walking with God. Those of you Braveheart fans out there, got any Braveheart fans? William Wallace, right? Come on, guys. What guy doesn't like the movie Braveheart, right? But what's, what's, what's William Wallace say? He says, every man dies, but not every man truly lives, right? Come on, that's like the battle scene, and you're like, yes, I will fight for you, William Wallace, right? But, but that's what God says, right? Everybody lives. Everybody lives. And unfortunately, too many of us live like the point of living is to get to death, Right? When God says through this story of Enoch, don't live, walk with me. Don't just live your life, walk with me. And then you fast forward to Enoch's grandson, Noah. And at the end of Noah's, this, this account that we read from Noah in Genesis 6, we're told the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Every single person they're just, they're bent on evil and destruction and mayhem. Everything's falling apart. But there's one man, there's one man in this generation that is concerned with righteousness. There's one man who has not bent his knee to the culture and has not let his heart grow evil. That man is Noah, and we're told that Noah walked with God. So what do Noah and Enoch walking with God have to do with hearing the voice of God? We aren't told anything about whether Enoch heard the voice of God, right? Now we do get a little more information on Noah. We get a whole story about him in an ark, if you haven't heard that one before. And in that story, we can come away with relative assurance that Noah heard God's voice, right? Because God says to Noah, go build me an ark made of gopher wood, right? You can't go do it if you don't hear his voice. So we know that he heard his voice, but here's the thing. Even if we didn't, 
we don't have to be told that God or that Noah or Enoch heard God's voice. We know that they heard God's voice. And how do we know that? Because we are told about the proximity of their life. We're told about where they are in proximity to God. Have you all ever walked with somebody? You don't struggle to hear someone when you walk with them, right? And it depends on how close you walk, right? I mean, if, if, you know, my wife and I, if I say, this is weird, but if I say, hey, let's go for a walk in downtown Bowling Green, and we get to downtown Bowling Green, and she goes on one side of Main Street, and I go on the other side of Main Street, and we're both walking, it's going to be a little difficult to hear each other, right? And it would be kind of a weird walk, right? I don't think most couples would classify that as a walk. Hey, Jana, you want to hold hands? I can't reach you. Oh, yeah, right? But if we're walking right, if we're walking close with one another, we have no problem hearing each other's voice, no matter how busy it is downtown. If we're walking hand in hand, if we're walking close, we can hear each other's voices. So if we spend our entire lives walking with God, we'll find it so easy to hear his voice when he speaks. Last week, we talked about this, this first step. Now, I, again, you, if you listened to the sermon last week, you'll know I'm not saying that this is a procedure, right? Last week, we warned against procedures when it comes to hearing God's voice. We don't do procedures, right? God doesn't want you to follow steps to hear his voice. Twelve easy steps, and you'll follow his voice. If, if God cares, and God does care, when you follow the twelve easy steps to hear his voice, those twelve steps will fail you. And the reason is because if you're trusting 12 steps to hear God's voice, you're not trusting God. And so God will cause procedures to fail. And he does that as a blessing to us because we stop trusting the process and we start trusting the person. And that's what everything God does pushes us to, to trust the person. So last week we talked about how the, the first step in this is we've got to want to hear God's voice, right? But just like everything in the gospel, we love because he first loves us, right? So we hear his voice. We want to hear his voice because he wants us to hear his voice. It starts as a response. And so that's what we looked at last week, the God who wants to speak. Our God is a God who wants to speak. So no matter how badly you think you want to hear his voice, I guarantee you he wants you to hear it more. But our number one problems as human beings is that we don't actually want to hear God's voice because we are deathly afraid of what he's going to say. We are deathly afraid that he is going to tell us something that we don't want to hear. And that's enough to, to, for us to hold back. But I think number two, if we're, if we're going on to the next step of this, once we decide, all right, all right, pastor, you got me. Fish hook got me. Now you just, just reel me in. Next step, we've got to be in close proximity to God. We have got to be walking with God so that we can hear his voice. Now, like we said, though, with the analogy of walking across the street, how we walk is important because there's a lot of Christians who say they walk with God, but they're actually across the street from him, right? And we see this a lot today, y'all, because we've got this Christian self-help gospel out there, right, that convinces us, culture convinces you have me time, right? You have your time, and then you have God time. 
but God can't bother you during your time, right? Y'all, I have been counseled by Christian counselors. You know, they have these healthy pastor seminars where they have pastors go to make sure that they're being healthy. Yay. We won't get into that today. But, But I have been told at these seminars it's good for you to have just a a game you play on your phone or something that you do on your phone where you just unplug and you just you're just mindless and it's just something separate for you to do and it's that's just me time and it's just a way for you to unplug and you that's the world y'all god doesn't say that anywhere in here nowhere in here does god say you need more me time it doesn't say that it says you need more god time that's what this book says And any counselor or anything else, whether they want to stick Christian in front of the counseling or not, they're they're not worth anything in here if they're telling you otherwise. Because there is no such thing as me time. It's all God time. If you decide that you want to walk with Jesus, if you decide that you want to walk as close as you can with him, you want this Enoch, this Noah walk, then there's no me time. And as much as you insist on me time, as much as I insist on Jeremy time, that is just putting God an arm's length and an arm's length and an arm's length and an arm's length away, right? What do we have when we're in public spaces, right? You got your personal bubble. Too many of us have a personal bubble when it comes to Jesus, right? Jesus, you're getting too close. You're in my face, Jesus. This is my space, right? But we've got to get rid of it. There are three ways in which we can walk with God. Not really. This is kind of a spectrum, but it breaks up into three points of a sermon a lot better if I say there are three ways. So there are three ways that we walk with God, and they are this. Living your best life. We've heard that one before, right? Living his best life, which sounds really good. We're getting close, right? But if you've been here long enough, you know that we always save the good one for point three, right? And then there's walking with God. So we got to break down these differences because there are differences in these, even though some of them look very similar. So first up, living your best life. And this is the self-help, prosperity, whatever you want to call it, gospel. Self-care, all the things. Follow these practical steps to live your best life now. And if you buy the DVD, all the better, because then we get a pad money in our pockets, right? And the title alone is problematic, as you can tell by the capitalization that I conveniently placed in there to draw your attention to the subject, right? Your best life. If you've been around these parts any amount of time, you know there are two ways to do things, right? There's your way, and there's God's way. There's man's way, and there's God's way. So if you are living your best life, whose best life are you not living? God's, right? If you are so obsessed with living your best life, with crafting your story, organizing your life, putting your stuff together, you will never have time to make sure that God's part of the picture. We saw this last week, right? 
This is the reason when we looked, we looked at 1 Samuel at the very beginning, the, the calling of the prophet Samuel, and when Samuel first hears God's voice, and he's coming into Israel at a moment when, we're told in Judges, at the end of the book of Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. If everyone is doing their own thing, focused on their life, doing what they think is best, we will never hear the voice of God. Now, we love to, to judge culture on this today, church, don't we? You have your truth, I have mine, because that's what culture is screaming, right? Everybody has their own truth, and you walk by your truth, I walk by mine, right? Unless your truth is conservative Christian, and then you're not allowed to walk by that one. You have to come walk by mine, right? That's what we're told today. But church... It's not a culture problem, just culture. Because the church has bought into this lie as well. God is only al along on the ride to bless me. He's only along to, to you know, pour out his blessings on me. And when I go to the altar, I just pray for blessings poured out and blessings and blessings and promotion and success and worldly fame. It's, it's no better than culture, y'all. We are not setting a good example. When we look at these other generations in Genesis 5, outside of Enoch, we're not really told specifically, we've got to be a little careful here, because there can be a danger, especially when you're writing a sermon, and you want the sermon to prove a certain point for you. It can be very easy to say, all of these generations except for Enoch, it says that they lived, and therefore they lived life their way and their way only, right? I would love it if Scripture said that, because that's the point I'm trying to prove. But Scripture doesn't say that, does it? So we've got to be careful. I'm not going to bend Scripture to prove a point for me, right? Right? That's the problem with topical sermons. I've talked about this before. There's two ways to preach. There's expository preaching, and there's topical preaching. Expository preaching, I would prefer to do. Nine out of ten times. I, I love it. And it is, we go to the Word of God, where we study the book of James, and we just read what the Word says, and we teach what the Word says. I love it. Because it's really difficult. It's not difficult. People take the Word out of context all the time. But it's, it's harder to force the Word to say what you want it to say. The problem we have with topical preaching, which is what a lot of churches do, and they do this for a reason, because it's very easy to bend the word of God to make it say what you want it to say. I say, I'm preaching a sermon on hearing God's voice, and this is what I want it to say. Now let me go find scripture verses that back up my point. You see the problem with that? That's the problem with topical preaching. Now listen, topical preaching can still be done well, right? I'm not saying all topical preaching is evil, throw it out. This is a topical sermon. We're talking about hearing the voice of God. We're in it. So that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we've got to be careful. So, we are not told in Scripture that these other generations, these fathers of these other generations, that they lived life their way. That they did whatever they wanted and they didn't listen to God and they just pushed him off. That's not what we're told. But what we do get is the fruit of how these other generations lived. Right? Because we do go on to Genesis 6. Out of Genesis 5, we do go on to Genesis 6, and in Genesis 6, we are told, the Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great on the earth, 
and that every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. So the Lord was sorry that he made mankind on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Then the Lord said, I will wipe out mankind whom I have created from the face of the land, mankind and animals as well, and crawling things and the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you something? If these other fathers of the generations had been listening to God's voice and walking step by step with him, this would have never happened to their children. This would have never happened. Not so much so that the entire race of mankind turned away from God. Everybody, y'all. So we know that somewhere along the line, someone transitioned and stepped out of walking with God and started doing things man's way. And I guarantee you, because this is how sin works, it wasn't evil to begin with, right? Sin very rarely is starts. You very Christian, you don't wake up tomorrow and just think, I'm going to do evil today. <laughs> we wish it was that easy, right? We wish it was that black and white, but that's not how it ever happens. They are small concessions that you make, sins that you are convinced, I am in control of this. I've got this. Oh, it's just a little thing. And it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows, right? Until it's absolutely out of control. And all of a sudden you see an entire generation completely lost. There's good news, y'all. Generations can turn back like that, right? Some of y'all know this, but some of y'all need to know this and you need to stand on it. If there is a generation in your family, a generational curse, a generational addiction, a gener you know, whatever it is, it can be broken now at this moment. Jesus doesn't mess around, y'all. The blood of Jesus doesn't mess around. And so today, you break that generational curse. Today, you say, no more. Not in my house, Jesus. All it takes is one. Right? But y'all, generations can also turn just as quickly. We see that all through the book of Judges and all through the books, the history of Israel, right? You get one king in Israel, and he's a good king following the Lord, doing everything right. And then his son, the very next king, all of a sudden decides, eh, I'm going to try this way, right? And all of a sudden, the entire nation, like dominoes, starts to fall, right? But we know from this, from this fruit that we see in Genesis 6, that there is at least one generation in that list of fathers of generations that decided walking with God wasn't good enough that decided, you know, I see the way that the world's going over here, and I kind of like it. I see the way that I can have success if I adopt some of these worldly practices, and I kind of like it. I like the idea that I can be a godly man and fit in with the masses. Does that sound familiar, y'all? Because we make the exact same concessions, don't we? The exact same. Now, we hammered really hard on this last week. <laughs> So there's only so much bludgeoning a soul can take, so we'll move off of it. Because point two is not a whole lot better. <laughs> it bludgeons you just as good. Living his best life. I really want to dig into this point 
because here's the problem. This looks right, doesn't it? We've talked about it. There's two ways to do things. God's way and man's way, right? This is God's way, right? Living his best life. Pastor, what are you doing? This is the best one, right? It looks like it. So what's the shortcoming? And this is why this is such a big deal. Because when you dig into it, living your best life almost always starts this way. If you trace it all the way back, all the way back to the very beginning, living your best life always starts this way. But eventually, along this path of living his best life, that road splits. And there is a decision that has to be made. And you either go your way, or you walk with God and you go this way. And if you do what is right in your own eyes, you've chosen your king, right? He's just not the king. So we've got to make sure that we make the right choice. Here's the deal. Most likely, if we're being generous and if we're being realistic, those generations that we read, the fathers of the generations, this is most likely what living was for them, right? This, the, this generational recap, it starts with Adam, and then it works its way down with Adam. What do we know about Adam? Adam walked with God, literally, right? He walked with God in the garden, Right? And so Adam intimately knew God. But what else do we know about Adam? At one point, Adam decided, I'm going to try this my way. I'm going to see if I can get to God's status on my own without his help. And there was a break, right? And then each of these generations continued living like Adam, their father, we're going to pick up here. This is after Enoch, so don't worry, we're not going to read the whole thing. Methuselah lived, lived 187 years. He fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived 780, 782 years after he fathered Lamech. He fathered other sons and daughters, so all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and fathered a son, and he named him Noah, saying, This one will give us comfort from our work and from the hard labor of our hands caused by the ground, which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he fathered Noah, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Now after Noah was 500 years old, he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Here is what is so tricky about living God's best life versus walking with God. It's the same difference between walking in legalism and walking in the gospel. On the outside, looking in, they both look identical. Did you know that? Legalism is literally just rule following, right? You break down the Bible into a bunch of rules that you follow, and you follow those rules, and you do your best, and you do the things that it says, right? That's what legalism is. 
And when you listen to it, right, we're going to go back a while, but we did this sermon series on the book of James, right? This is why a lot of people don't like the book of James, y'all. Because the book of James says what? Listen to God's word and do what it says. What's legalism say? Listen to God's word and do what it says. Wait a minute, what? Right? It says the same thing. Hear God, obey the rules. It's what we're supposed to be doing, right? But here's the thing, and we've talked about this. You can do all the right things and still not know God at all. Right? You can follow all of the rules in this book. This is, this is the issue Jesus ran into the, with the Pharisees. And we love to read through the Gospels and be like, oh, those Pharisees were a bunch of idiots. Right? We have the same problem, y'all. Every single one of us. Even those who, of us who look at legalists and are like, oh, those Pharisees, they're so dumb. You have the same problem. You just err on the other side of grace. But it's the same problem. We do rules. We judge those who don't do the rules. Right? It's the exact same problem. So much so that Jesus Christ himself, the word of God, stood in front of the Pharisees and said, here I am. And they didn't even recognize him. They said to the word of God, hold on a second. That's, that's not what following the rules looks like. Right? They did all the right things, but right in whose eyes? Their own, right? And what are we told? When everyone does what is right in their own eyes, there's no king in Israel. Right? The king had left the building. The Pharisees just didn't notice. Here's the thing. This, I actually have only heard this preached on once. <laughs> this doesn't get preached a whole lot. It should, but it doesn't. Obeying biblical principles. When you obey this book, guess what happens with your life? It starts to go really well. Do you know why that is? Because the person who wrote this book wrote you. Right? You, you, guys, you guys don't know this because nobody actually looks in this book. But there's, there's actually a manual that they make that tells you how to drive the car that you own. Did you know that? It's in your glove compartment uh, if you dust it off. It is in there, I promise you. And it tells you everything that you need to know. It even tells you what kind of gas to put in your vehicle. Did you know that? Some of y'all have been putting unleaded 87 in your car this whole time, and it actually takes the next level up. You're just cheap, and you don't want to pay that much, right? But, but why? Why trust Toyota or, or Ford or Chevy or whatever you have? Why trust them to tell you what kind of gas to put in your car? I don't know. They made the vehicle, right? God's word directs us into the best life, the best way to do this life. 
because he made you and he knows how you tick. He knows what makes you run. And so it's not surprising that when we read this word and we start applying what it teaches to our life, that our life starts going better, right? I heard Pastor Tim Keller preach on this once. It was one of, in, in one of his resources that he has on marriage. But he was talking about marriage, and he was talking specifically about like marriage outside of the church. So whether that's homosexual marriage or just marriage between people who don't have any faith system or whatever. And, and he says, and we've got to be careful of this, y'all, because there are a lot of people who will say, you cannot have a successful marriage outside of God. And the fact of the matter is it's actually not true. Okay, now you cannot have the most successful marriage outside of God, right? The most successful marriage in the world will found itself on Christ because that's how marriage was supposed to work. But what Keller said is, you can find what the world would call successful marriages, and I don't even know what that means anymore, marriages that don't end in divorce, I, I don't really know, but, but successful marriages outside of the church or outside of, of marriages that are built on Christ. But what Keller says is, the reason for this is, though, that every single one of those marriage is applying a principle that we find in God's word. So if you look at a marriage that exists and the two people say, we don't believe in God, we don't need God, we don't, we don't believe in the gospel, we don't need it, but it's going really well. And you look into the marriage, you will almost always find that there are elements of covenantal relationship that those two individuals are walking out that one or both of those individuals is extremely selfless, that is always laying themselves down for the good of the marriage, is always putting the other first, is always loving the other well, is, you know, all of those things. Those are biblical teachings. They just don't know they're living it, right? Because that's the principle when we follow God's word, things work the way they're supposed to work. Right? That's what the principle says. But here's the problem. This is real. This is a very real thing. So the problem we have is that a lot of Christians obey this word to get the good life, right? And y'all, at the core of it, that's what legalism is. Legalism says, I do the good things, I do the right things, so that I can twist God's arm and say, all right, God, now you owe me. And the gospel will never allow that, y'all. The gospel does not allow that. That really is the only difference between a gospel-centered life and legalism. And it's joy, right? Because as long as you're rule-following, you're miserable, right? We've done this analogy a thousand times, right? When you're trying to diet, you're trying to not eat the wrong kinds of foods and only eat the right kinds, you're miserable, right? Have you ever met a happy person on a diet? <laughs> right? It's awful, because nobody likes rule following. But when the gospel is your motivation, there's joy in obedience. There's joy in following. Because you're not serving God for an outcome. 
you're serving God because the outcome already happened, right? He already paid for your soul. He already gave everything to forgive you of your sins, and that's why you serve him. But the problem we have, especially in the church in the West today, y'all, and we love to, we love to label the you know, prosperity gospel. That's the evil one, right? But we gotta be careful, church, because the prosperity gospel comes in all sorts of other shades of gray that we don't label as the prosperity gospel, but it's still the prosperity gospel, right? Well, I do all the right things, and I do the things, so, so God, you gotta answer my prayers. This it has to turn out the way I want. I gotta get that promotion, because I do all the right things, and I obey you, and I, right? Have you ever been there? Careful. Have you ever been there? Y'all, I've been there. I've been there very recently. Maybe am in the middle of it right now. Because what do we say? We say, God, I don't deserve this. Right? God, I do all the right things. I pastor a stinking church for you, God. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to walk through this. Or we look at somebody that we love who's walking through it right? God, he doesn't deserve to go through this. Why are you doing this? What is going on? He's never done anything wrong, right? But what are we saying? We've turned to rule following, right? And that's the fork in the road. Did you pick up on it? Always. We don't like this but it's suffering, right? Trials, failure. You wonder why, you know, how how could a loving God create suffering in a world like this? Or at at minimum, how could he allow his creation to suffer? And I'll tell you why. Because suffering more than anything else is a crucible that draws out your motives faster than you can blink, y'all. Because if you are walking any semblance of this prosperity gospel, any semblance of legalism, as soon as you get to that point where you pray that prayer and you say, in my righteousness I stand and pray, and God your word promises that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And we use the King James because we think that impresses God more, right? And so we, we pull out the F's and all this stuff, right? And we stand on that, and then it doesn't happen. And we take our word and we throw it in the fireplace and say, what good is it? God's going to answer this prayer anyway he wants. What good is it? Right? And all of a sudden, you found out real fast the real reason why you're following God. Because if I do right things, I can force him to answer my prayers. If I do right things, I can force him to serve the real king in Israel. Ooh, we don't like that. That doesn't sound good, does it? But suffering is that fork in the road, y'all. And when suffering strikes, when your prayers fail, when God answers them contrary to what you're praying, you've got one of two ways to go. You either say, God's not doing this the way that I want. We're going to make this say what I want it to say. There's no king in Israel. I'm doing what I think is right. Or, We say, God, I don't know what I'm asking for. I surrender. I give it to you, 
and I'm ready to walk with you into whatever that is. Y'all, walking with God is the gospel. If living God's best life can be, turn into, very quickly, legalism, right? Rule following for a result. I will follow the rules, Lord, as long as you get me this result. Then walking with God is the gospel. We're told Enoch lived 65 years and fathered Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he fathered Methuselah, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Pretty cool, isn't it? I think everybody wants that to be their end, right? You're just walking with God, skipping along through every day, and then God says, hey, Jeremy, yoink, come walk with me up here. And you just walk with him in the kingdom, right? Wouldn't that be a pretty cool way to go? I'd be all right with that. But Enoch walks with God. Straight into heaven, it would appear. Then, in the midst of a perverse and evil generation, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generation of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. The only man in the midst of a completely corrupt generation, so corrupted that God said it would actually be better to wipe everything out and start over. Yet Noah was found righteous. Because he walked with God. Not because he followed the rules, right? Because he walked with God. This is the gospel, y'all. This is what God wants with us. Because when you walk with God, this isn't, this isn't like a, a business walk, right? I don't know, does anybody do that? I've never done a business walk before. You do that, you, you know, walk with your business partner. You don't really do that, right? You have business meetings at a table, right? You sit down to do those. It's business, right? You don't walk and work. Hey, let's go out and, you know, build a house. Well, how do we do that? We'll just walk around. It doesn't get built, right? Walking is purely relational, Right? It's intimate. It's communion with God. This is what he wants with us. This is where we do life with God, not just follow his rules. You know, why else would God send the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, right? That's what Jesus says. The Holy Spirit's coming and he will live inside of you. Look, y'all, I get my taxes done, right? Ed Zippay, he does my taxes, okay? He doesn't live with me. Did you know that? I don't know how to do my taxes, so I hire a consultant to do my taxes. That does not require him living with me, though. That would be weird, wouldn't it? Right? The Holy Spirit is living with us. And yet, we treat him in our lives like he's a consultant. When we get to a path and we don't know which way to go, well, okay, now I'll call the Holy Spirit. He's living inside of you. 
why would God send his spirit to live inside of you to only use him as a consultant when you don't know what to do? It doesn't make sense, right? The Holy Spirit is there to walk with you every single day goes back to this core principle. Isn't it funny how they all come back to core principles? Discipling, right? Talk about this all the time here. We disciple with others as the Holy Spirit is actively discipling with us, right? That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. And and what is discipling, right? My father-in-law says this, but discipling is not a communication of knowledge. It is not a communication of knowledge, but of life, right? I I tell people this a lot, but I have held in my ministry career two of my least favorite pastoral titles. I was a worship pastor, and I was a discipleship pastor, and I hated both of those titles, right? Because as a worship pastor, what did I do? I led the music. But worship is not music, is it? So call me the music pastor, if that's all I'm going to do. Worship is a lifestyle, We worship God every day of our life, right? Discipleship pastor, guess what I did? I came up with the curriculum to teach the church. I got people plugged in to make sure that they were learning knowledge, right? That's not what discipling is, though. Discipleship is a communication of life, not of knowledge. But we sit here and we act like the Holy Spirit's only job is to teach us stuff. That's not the case. One of the best discipling in action verses in the Bible. If you want a good discipling verse to memorize, write this one down. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Paul says this. He says, In the same way we had a fond affection for you and were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Can I challenge you, Gospel House Church? Do not share the gospel with anyone. You didn't expect to hear that at church this morning, did you? Do not share the gospel with anyone if you aren't also willing to share your life. Do you know what I think one of the biggest problems in the church is today? We've lost this. We have a church that does not mind sharing the gospel with people. We'll bludgeon people with the gospel, right? But we have absolutely zero interest in sharing life with people. We don't want to let people in. We don't want them to see the mess that we are. We want to pretend like we've got it all together. We're put together, right? Whenever you're having guests over, right? You take all the dirty laundry and you shove it in the closet. Just shove it in the closet. Get it in there, right? Because we don't want people to know that we live here, right? That's Jana's and my joke all the time. God, it still looks like people are living here. Let's pick up these shoes, right? But that's what we act like every time company comes over. We don't want to pretend that we live life. We don't want to pretend that we've got a one-year-old that is, uh, Gideon's, Gideon literally means, if you look up the meaning of Gideon in Hebrew, it means mighty destroyer. Boy, oh boy, we picked a good one, Right? I don't think it's unique to him. Any one-year-old will do the same thing, right? He destroys everything. But when people come over, don't make it look like he lives here, right? He stays up in his bedroom 24 hours a day and never touches anything down here, right? 
But guys, we, we do that all the time, don't we? We're okay sharing the gospel with people. Hey, come to church with me. Hey, come to church. And we wonder why they never come to church. We wonder why they want nothing to do with our Jesus. And the reason is because you're not willing to share your life with them. Discipling is not just sharing knowledge of the gospel with others. It is sharing your very life as well. Here's the thing, y'all. God is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done. Isn't that incredible? I was watching, I saw this video of this Muslim man. He used to be a Christian and actually converted to Muslim um, to the Muslim faith, and one of the things that he told the person who was asking him why he converted is he said, I just couldn't, I couldn't come to terms with Jesus. I couldn't come to terms with the fact that this all-powerful God who created these mighty oceans and all this stuff, that he was born of a woman, that he, that he became human, and, and th- that he pooped and peed and, and like all of this stuff. Why would such a powerful God debase himself to, to that level. I just can't, I can't come to terms with that. But y'all, do you know why Jesus did that? Because he wanted to show us that our God is a God who wants to do life with us. Right? The fact that Jesus came is the most powerful thing in Christianity. Because if Jesus didn't come, then our God is still this far off distant God who's at arm's length. But that's not what God wants. And if God is at arm's length, ladies and gentlemen, can I challenge you that you are the one who is keeping him there? Because Jesus has torn down every single wall. He has ripped in half every single veil that separates you and God. And he wants you to come into his arms and to walk with him with a nearness that you have with no one else. So when God asks us, when God says, don't just share gospel knowledge with people, bring them into your life as well. He's not asking you to do anything he hasn't already done. Do you see it? That is the beauty of the gospel, church. In the gospel, Jesus Christ fulfills everything that God asks of us. It's completely backwards, isn't it? Right? We talk about this when we talk about the covenant that God makes with Abraham, but, but God, this mighty king, the, like the Muslim guy's right, right? Muslims are right. God is this all-powerful thing, and he should, in man's knowledge, rule like an almighty king put us under his thumb and say, you serve me, doggone it. And if you get out of line, I'm just going to off with his head, right? It's like the Queen of Hearts in the Alice in Wonderland, right? You paint the roses the wrong color, off with his head, right? That's how worldly kings act. But our God does not rule this world with man's knowledge. He rules it with his. And God rules with open arms, inviting us to come in and to share in this intimacy that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have had for all of eternity and will have for all of eternity. Do you get it? I mean, do you see that? When God calls us to come and to do life with him, 
He is inviting us into the fullness of his life. This is what Jesus talks about in John as they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane for him to be, tra- be, for him to be betrayed, right? He prays and he asks God, God, Father, make us one. Make me and my disciples one, just as you and I are one. He is inviting us into that life. We get all of life with the Father when Jesus invites us in. So why do we hold back parts of our life? When God invites us into all of his life, why do I say, yeah, but God, I've got this addiction. Yeah, but God, I've got this little thing that I just can't get rid of yet. I promise next month, next month I'll start over again. Next month, if I can just, if I just, if I just get married, once I get married, it'll all go away. If I just, if I just get to here, once I have kids, once I, whatever it is, when God says, Jeremy, just share it with me. And if we did, guess what? We would find that we have a God who is true to take that burden and to crucify it on the cross. But we don't give it to him, right? God wants to do life with you. Jesus Christ gave his life to prove that God wants to do life with you. And as it turns out, this is the best way, the only way, to hear God's voice so clearly. It's so important, y'all, that we get this proximity right. So important that we're actually going to talk about it again next week in one of my favorite stories in Scripture. There's your cliffhanger for this week, right? It's like the, we were talking with George about binge-watching TV episodes, right? Each TV episode always leaves you with a cliffhanger, so you just have to watch the next one, right? There's your cliffhanger for next week. Now you all got to come back because you got to see what's the story. What are we talking about? So, like we talked about last week, the first step, we've got to want to hear God's voice. We have got to decide that hanging on to our past is not the priority anymore that we want to hear God's voice. And the only way to do that is to see how desperately God wants to, to hear or to listen, for us to listen to him, right? We've got to see that Jesus in every way took the first step towards us so that we can hear God's voice. And then, now, we have got to get that proximity right. Jesus Christ shared all of life with you. The Holy Spirit right now, actively inside of you, is sharing all of God's life with you. Why do we hold back? Stop holding back and let him in. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. 
head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect, fill out the form, and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you, and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.